Hey, yo, welcome to another edition of 43.6, the sports podcast you always wanted. I'm Dustin Perry, and I'm joined by James Key. Hello, James. This is 43.6 After Dark, because we're recording a little bit late, because I personally will be traveling next week for the shoot job. We're recording early, technically. Well, no, we're recording yes. early in days, late at night, though. So yeah, can later we get at night. We get recording. sexual. <laughs> so, yes, that is an interesting point. We'll get to that in a second, though. We're also joined by Maddie Key. Hello, Maddie. I was going to say, it's kind of considering one of the topic lists. We don't want to get sexual. No. <laughs> also, there's two brothers here, and it's not like we're Island Boy rappers or anything. So, Oh, yeah. Oh, Did you, did see, you that? see that, we're... by the way? It's I don't know what you're up. talking about. So the Island Boys are like content creators and rappers and shit like that. And they kind of like disappeared for a bit. And then they came back. And dude, they started an OnlyFans. And people are like, oh, nutty. They're starting OnlyFans. Their OnlyFans is them making out with each other and shit. And like touching each other's bums. They're brothers. And they're, there's videos of them making out with each other. You don't remember them? They oh. were they went viral because they did they were this stupid thing where it's like, Island Boy. You don't remember? They're all tattooed no. all over their faces. Nope. No, I don't know anything about that. But speaking of OnlyFans, uh, what's her face? Um, God, <laughs> Good, what, that's a what was her name? Fans. Du- Fuck, what was OnlyFans. Fuck, OnlyFans.com slash what's her face? She wrestled as like the Southern Belle and then she Lacey did the Evans. army gimmick. Lacey Evans. Oh, he um, knew that real quick. I did. She and like <laughs> considering how much wrestling I watch every single week, I couldn't get her name immediately. Shows how often how she's little I watch. Hey, that's probably not as. You know, whatever. Anyways, she made like a a tweet or an X or something saying that she's doing OnlyFans. I don't know if she is or she isn't, but I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to guarantee, and this might lead right into our first uh, set of topics of what happened in our week. Um, I'm willing to guarantee she's one of those OnlyFans that's going to be like $50 a month, and it's going to be like nothing nude in any way. No, it's bikini only. It's going to be like their Instagram feed, essentially. Yeah, the glorified Insta. The Insta. I mean, if you get the money, like, get the money. But, like, I always find that kind of strange. And speaking of, uh, actually, before we get to all that, because that was a good segue to strange wrestling fans. Before we get to uh, what happened in our week, we are going to talk about, on this week's episode, Paul DeYoung, Wander Franco, the rated R superstar, Edge. Dalvin Cook, who liked to sign, who liked to sign a contract immediately after we stopped recording, and <laughs> Hard Knocks episode two, all that and a whole lot more coming up on this week's episode of forty three point six, which of course is brought to you by Now Your Treasures, who will be at Fan Expo this week in booth nine one two. So make sure you check them out when you are there. Also, you may see one of us, a photo floating around, or appearance from one of us with said. Sponsor now your treasures at Fan Expo. I mean, we were joking around also quickly. I know we maybe we get into this later. Literally just before we jumped on, and I said to Dustin, Jim kind of was like doing his other shit. I don't even think he was paying attention. Maybe next year we do like a episode recording with them at Fan Expo. Well, this is what's going to happen. Like a year from now, we're going to be so popular that uh, Fan Expo is going to pay us to do an episode there. And we'll For do a live sports content. Of- they have it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here, here's the thing, though. There's a lot of card dealers there, like sports cards dealers at Fan there's Expo. A couple. So- there's not a ton. The, the thing with 
I, I could see us one day maybe going to the sports card expo, which we kind of need. I would, but, I would love to do one there. But the um, the thing with with Fan Expo is they got. I'm sure the fucking internet's kife. Like no, not oh, to yeah. shoot on them. It's just in conventions, the internet's always a problem. Well, I I would just hotspot it. Like I'm getting 75 gigs now. Fuck it. Like I'll hotspot yeah. the recording of the podcast. This can't be. Well, this can't be worth two gigs. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing though is. Jim, we both know people. We have connections. We could maybe get set up to do a podcast there. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, yours truly will be there too. Because like I said, I, I got a fucking busy week next week. I'm traveling. I got the shoot job at Fan Expo too. So um, it's going to be busy. Yeah, so that's interesting to point out actually, James. I don't know when this episode is going to drop. I don't know if it's dropping on the Monday or it's going to drop you know, Sunday morning or word, whatever. It's going to drop at some point. They should have random yeah. as an option for publishing a po- uh, a podcast, and then yeah, and whatever. it comes out after Fan Expo, and then people are like, "What booth?" <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's, it's worth it is worth noting that we're recording on a Saturday night, so we do not know the result of UFC. We don't know the result of the Women's World Cup. I assume that O'Malley is going to win because I bet a hundred dollars on him, so he's definitely going to win. Imagine and, having a hundred dollars uh, to bet. <laughs> Man, <laughs> so I because the reason why I put a hundred bucks on O'Malley because for a number of reasons. One because was it your bet he, credit. <laughs> it was yeah. It's all essentially everything I had in my FanDuel account that I probably put a hundred dollars into my FanDuel account like a year and a half ago, and like it's gone up, it's gone down, it's gone up, it's gone down, and there's a hundred bucks sitting there. I'm like, you know what? He has like two to one odds every single time I bet on this guy, he wins his fights. So he's I'm kinda, I hoping think he's also like. I think he's the guy that UFC's kind of hitching a little bit of a wagon to. I get the feeling mm-hmm. yep. that they see this guy as a, a marketable individual. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, before before they this goes the distance decision, Dana White walks by the uh, judges' table. <laughs> and bring does, the bell. Does a little <laughs> does a little does a little knock on the table, knock three times for O'Malley, and then there you go. The checks in the mail. Heat's in the ring, brother. So I'm just hoping it pays off, and then I can have a, a football budget to bet with for the rest of the season. So I was going to say the worst thing about football. Okay, so <laughs> the worst thing about football betting is the 13, <laughs> 13 team parlay that you you always you always try and shoot for because you're so tempted. Five dollars could win you one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Like that's <laughs> you know. And uh, well, listen, I've I have a couple times when before betting sites on pro line when they did the pools right yes i've i've been 11 to 13 i've been you know and if you had box if you paid the if you paid the extra 10 dollars and box those two games you would have won yeah like, like you know like i i've been close on those things uh not never been that close lately in in the like pro betting side but um you can oh. like there's there's dudes who make a living out of professional betting which is wild to me it's also due to make a living out of fantasy football. And maybe we'll start there because we had our fantasy football draft this past week. And I just got to say, um, so things didn't really go my way at the beginning of the draft because for whatever reason, Maddie decided to pull take, it up. I don't uh, even Mark remember. Andrews. No, that was like round three, though. I know. I it's still you- near the beginning of the draft where Maddie took Mark Andrews like right before me. I'm like, okay, you motherfuckers. I see. <laughs> You guys are just going to grab all my ravens that I want. Um, I, mean, I always he, like to have like 
uh, a combo, I call it, where it's like you have your uh, quarterback throwing to someone else on that team. To, so to double I have points. Lamar Jackson as my quarterback. I like to have uh, Mark Andrews in there as well. I settled to get um, Odell Beckham Jr. Who knows if he's going to even play this fucking year. Who knows? But nevertheless, um, what you're, did you're, also make me laugh? Your wide receivers are hopeful, sir. That's fine. Brother. You're talking about my roster, so this is what made me laugh. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. This is Talk what, made, and if you're pulling it up, James, pull it up. Okay? okay, pull up, and I want you to pull up some stats while you're pulling some stuff up. All right. Okay, sure. And this is what I was joking about with Maddie because you weren't in the chat. You were like off doing whatever the fuck you were doing. He was probably but sitting the on the couch, us, so like that, not to make noise. Hundred percent, he's correct. The the rest of us were all shooting on you as you're making your ridiculous picks because. The train started early, and everyone who plays fantasy football or fantasy hockey or fantasy baseball, you know the train I'm talking about. At some point, someone's going to grab a position player that you didn't think was going to start, and then everyone else just starts taking a player in that position. It's like hockey. In hockey, it's like goaltenders. It's like, oh, shit, someone took a goalie, and then someone else took a goalie, and then and yeah. just, all of a sudden, there's seven goalies just went in the last round. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And now you're left with scraps. So the train started on tight ends, and I was like, okay, you know what? Fuck it. It's a 10-team league. Everyone only needs one tight end, so I'm just going to take the 11th best tight end, and it's not going to be any better than the 6th best tight end. The 6th best tight end will be just as good as the 15th best tight end. They're all the same useless players. And then as I'm looking at the list, I'm like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll get Darren Waller, I guess. That's fine. Like Everyone else, everyone has a tight end, and, and sure, Darren Waller's left. I will take Darren Waller, no problem. Uh-huh. And then James takes Darren Waller. I'm like, this motherfucker already has a tight end. Yeah. And he's taking Darren Waller. I'm like, why? Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. I'm okay. like, all right. Fine, I guess. Whatever. Um, I guess I'll just look down the list and say, all right, you know what? Waller's I'll gone. Knox. I'll take Dawson Knox, I guess. Like, <laughs> fine, whatever. The 12th best tight end. And like two rounds later, James takes Dawson Knox. I'm like, this motherfucker has taken. Okay. Three tight ends in a draft. Okay, and I'll explain to you. We have two flex spots, right? So, sure. h- hang on. Would okay. I rather have Darren Waller, tight end of the Giants, playing with Daniel Jones, who, let's be honest, who else is he going to throw to on that team other than probably Darren Waller, and I can use him in a flex spot, or do I want Anthony Richardson throwing to Michael Pittman? Are you... Okay. Um, that's a, if you, that's the example you want to use is Pittman. Sure. Why would I want? Okay, why would I want up. a rookie QB taking a chance on re- throwing to, to throwing to this dude? Or am I going to take Darren Waller, who's going to be the first pass option probably on that team with a guy who led a team to the playoffs last year? Let's uh, pull up Michael Pittman's stats from last season, and then pull up anyone you want, any one of your three tight ends. Actually, pull up two of your three tight ends, and let's give you the total points between two of your useless tight ends and compare them to the points that Michael Pittman Okay, where do I look this up? Where do I look this up? Literally just click on a player in in Sleeper. Click on one of the players in your roster. I don't use Sleeper. You literally are going to use Sleeper this year for (laughs) for fantasy football. I know, but I didn't do it on desktop, so it's going to take me forever to get in here because I don't even know. All right, fine. I will just tell you the numbers. Here's here's Michael Pittman's numbers week one against Houston. 18.1 points. Okay. Week week two, he didn't play. He got hurt. Week three, seven points. Week four, shitty shitty week. He had three points. 
Okay. Week week five, he had five point nine. Week six, thirteen point four. Okay. Th- then he had a three point eight, a five point five point three, a two point two, a five. Look up Darren Waller, bro- brother. Okay, go what, ahead okay. and take a look at your tight ends. Okay, what is it that you're so happy to have a million of? And you tell me how great right. their week and he to played, week numbers are. He played are. in Vegas. I don't care what team they played for last year. We're not going to know. Like all these guys have changed teams. All these guys have changed personnel. Darren Waller moved teams. Pittman played last year, sure, but with a different quarterback. What right. I'm saying is, all the personnel is going to change for all these guys. Right. They're and tight ends. They're, they're two two proven veteran players playing together, as opposed to even even Dawson Knox. I'll start with Dawson Knox. Week one for Dawson Knox, 0.5 points. Okay. Okay. Week two, 4.1. Week three, 2.5. Week four, four. Week five, he must have been hurt. He didn't play. Week six, nine. Okay, so you got a good week there. Seven was a buy. Week eight, seven points. Not bad. It sounds like Pittman. It does not. My point is, your ceiling for a tight end is going to be 10 points max. If you're lucky, you have the greatest week of your life. Assuming we're not talking about Travis Kelsey and we're not talking about Mark Andrews, we're talking about everyone else. So your tight ends are going to get you anywhere from zero points. Hear me out. Hear me out. Waller played in Vegas. Who else played in Vegas? Derek Carr. Who else? Derek Carr. Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams. Okay, sure. Hunter Henry. No, Hunter Henry. Hunter Renfro. You're going to look me in the face right now and tell me Hunter Renfro is a better option than Darren Waller. No, I'm telling you he's a better option than any of the dudes that are on the New York Giants right now to throw to. All I'm, what I'm saying is... What I'm saying is... Tight ends. Watch. I'm telling you, watch. Waller I, is going to have a receiver-esque season as a tight I end. Will, I will say this. One year I played fantasy football, I hitched my back on a Gronk, and I cleaned up. Yeah, that's Rob Gronkowski. Okay, so in the history of the planet, there's been four tight ends in the world that have been really, really good as a wide receiver. That's Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, Rob Gronkowski... And Travis Kelsey. That's it. There's the only guys in the world that exist in the past and 25 this year, years. This year, I, I am, I'm betting on Darren Waller doing that compared to the receivers that were left to me at that time. I mean, I see the logic, but you're, it's, it's a big hope where you could have probably got some safer. And, if, and listen, if I win, I'm going to be miles. And if I win that bet, I'm going to be miles ahead of others. Darren Waller uh, missed nine games last year, just for the record. He's also 30 yeah. years old. And yeah, I mean, I love Darren Waller. I love his story. Uh, former Raven, actually. <laughs> like, I love Darren Waller, but I don't think there is a chance in hell that Darren Waller ends up being in the top 25 of tight ends, let alone. I shouldn't say that. I hope Darren Waller is in the top 10 of tight ends. Who's the I better tight end in this league outside lower? of Travis Kelsey? Mark Andrews. <laughs> yeah. Barely. Anyways, all I'm no, saying is no. there's never a world where you need three tight ends. And you're going to find that out pretty quick. Trust me. Maddie? Maddie? Mm-hmm. We're just, what do you think happens first? Here's a, here's a question I have for you. What happens first? James drops two of his three tight ends? Or... He just gives up because he's already lost for the rest of the season. 
Uh, I think he'll drop. I think he'll drop one tight end by week three. Mm. Okay, and- let's look at let's look at even let's look at the wide receivers that are available now. Okay, Austin Watkins. I hope well, that guy. I don't know who that guy is. Me either. Trey Palmer. Who's who's that guy? Like, where where are you picking from? Are you picking from like the, the highest ranked wide receiver currently available? Because that's Jameson Williams. Who's suspended for half the season. Uh Uh-huh. I'm just saying, fine. Okay, whatever. Let's move on. Let's go to uh, Tyler Boyd. Oh, huge, huge pickup there, Tyler Boyd. Nine points week one, three points week two, 16 and a half week three. Five points. Look, what I'm saying is he's hitting you all the same numbers you're going to get from a tight end, but his ceiling is higher. He right. has the chance, like week but seven. But if I average, if I average out, if points. I average out at eight or nine points instead of thirteen, you're not going to average eight or nine points. I guarantee With Darren Waller, you. I think I will. I. <laughs> Do we want to uh, set a bet here? Darren yes. Waller will average you four and a half fantasy points a week. I say eight. Actually, I'll save seven. <laughs> Kevin is like a touchdown in ten yards. He's gonna he's gonna get you at least a touchdown every single week. Seven points is not just a touchdown. How like no? He's touchdown gonna catch a yards. lot of passes, man. Why? Why would you think he's gonna catch a lot of passes? Because there's nobody else on that team to catch it them. Doesn't matter. You can't just, just hand it off to Saquon for 486 plays. Actually, that's true. Well, we'll because they'll uh, we'll die. See. He will lose both his feet, Dustin. I am willing to bet that Darren Waller, at the most, will get two catches per game on average. And on those two catches, it'll be like a one-yard screen, and there might be a, an eight-yard breakout post route, and that's going to be your two catches, and you'll get you nine to ten yards. And if he gets that touchdown on that nine to ten yards, awesome. You got seven points that week. You have little faith. For the most part. Oh. You just, just you let wait. Me take, let me take, you know, I'll take Elijah Moore. Oh, wait. I watched that guy in the Jets. That guy ain't good. Or how about Darnell Mooney, who I've taken for the past two seasons of fantasy and basically delivers me two points a game? Uh, Darnell Mooney, yeah, he started off pretty rough. 0.8 minus 0.4. <laughs> yeah, so you don't fucking talk to me about this shit. But then he got 2.3, 9.4, 5.2, 6.8, 5.3, 7, 10.5. All of those numbers are better than we're going to get at tight end. All of them. Except for Except the numbers the you quoted for Dyson Knox, but that's okay. What were Evan Ingram's numbers? Probably just as bad as Dawson Knox and Darren Waller. All right. But I can pull that up for you if you really like. Sure. I'm just saying, it's, it is... Again, unless you are Travis Kelsey or Mark Andrews or to a lesser extent Dallas Goddard, you're going to be everyone else in terms of tight end. You're all just going to be the same useless player. Uh, Evan Ingram, 2.8 week one, 4.6 week two, 2.9 week three, 1.6 week four. He got a good week in week five, a whole 6.9. Oh, brother. Oh, brother. That's 6.9. Look out, man. Uh, then he had a four and then a 6.7. He had a, actually a really nice week in week eight, 11.5. Dude, it's, and then the week after that, week after that was a point, a point eight, and then a 1.4 and then a buy and then a point four. My point is like, he actually ended up having a really good week in week 14 with like 28 points, but like that's going to happen one time in the season. You're going to have a 28 point week and every other week you're going to have 
one catch for right. ten yards. But what I'm what I'm hearing is, at the end of the day, the the point potential is exactly like it's your your scale not is, the same. It's little to no different. <laughs> oh my Christ! You're a wide receiver is going to get more. I'm not talking targets. about a wide receiver. I'm talking about the wide receivers that were left to me. Tyler Boyd is on the waiver wire right now. He's better than all three of your tight ends. Who's I don't even know who who where does he play for? He plays for the Bengals. He only has uh, one of the best offenses in the entire NFL. But yeah, sure. but he's a, he's going to be like your third, fourth he, option. He's like the third option, sure. Yeah, and Jamar Chase was he not hurt part of last year? He could have been sure. I, I wouldn't doubt it. That it's yeah. Whatever, I'll take the man. guy who's you're, riding the pine and handing hey man, drinks off to Jamar Chase. You're welcome to run your fantasy team however you like. I Look, can't wait. I'll take Jamison Williams uh, come week six, but I'm not. I'm not going to sit there and, and have an empty spot and use p- potential flex players uh, and take a guy that's suspended for six weeks. Jamar Chase I, I, was hurt from weeks 18 through 12. I seriously hope, James, that you play tight ends, three tight ends in your lineup every single week. I, 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 I I'm not going to play three tight ends. I have more receivers, but if I want to play Darren Waller in a flex instead of Good old Michael Pittman catching for Anthony Richardson, who no one knows what this guy can do in the NFL, for the lowly Indianapolis Colts. Are you picking on? Are you picking on Pittman because I picked him near the end of the draft? Yes, <laughs> that's exactly why. Okay. <laughs> so I am willing to guarantee you then that Pittman at the end of the year has significantly more fantasy points than Darren Waller or, in- or Evan Ingram or Dawson Knox. I'll even give you two of them combined. Oh yeah, you and Pittman yeah. will have more fantasy points than both of them combined. I'm gonna look up. All right, we're, gonna, we're let's. Uh, here's the witness, everyone listening on this week's episode, that I am saying it's a it's a water bet. We're not uh, saying we're actually gambling money or anything. No, no, no. I am saying Pittman will have more fantasy points at the end of the year than any two of James's tight ends combined. We will have to wait and see how that goes. You know what's funny? That's what happened. Early. You know what's funny? <laughs> what? Of some of the wide receivers on my team, uh huh. Darren Waller has a higher forecasted point output in week one. That just means he drafted shitty wide receivers. Uh, I have Cooper <laughs> Cup, Jalen Waddle, uh huh, Kadarius Tony, okay, and Cortland Sutton. Okay, they're not shitty. That's your, uh, Cortland Sutton. Cronson's not shitty. He, he's catching the ball from Russell Wilson. Let's ride, brother. I mean, Listen, Wilson could have a monster year. Wow, it's, impossible that that, it's impossible to run. If Russell Wilson has another year like he did last year, and I know we'll get into previews in the next couple weeks, then, like, I don't know what to say about that guy's, like, past. Then that guy's a full-on fraud. Full-on yeah, maybe. Fraud. And you know what? If... Denver season does go south pretty quick. I imagine they might make a move of starting someone else as that uh, quarterback if Russell there's, Wilson continues. To there's be other awful, quarterbacks right? available in this league. Yeah, yeah, but we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, anything else from you guys this past week? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think my my brother said I had a shrewd pick of Pacheco or uh, whatever. Pacheco. Isaiah Pacheco. Oh, yeah, late. Yeah, he's okay. coming off an injury, but man. Had a hell of a Super it's, Bowl. Well, not just that though. Like he's probably going to be, he's going he's going to get a lot of touches in that offense for Casey. 
I mean, you're going to get... I just, I don't know. I What I saw last year in the back half right? of us. Yeah. But, you know, Tony is replacing Smith-Schuster, who's a nut job. And that was Garbo. my... Hmm? Which one? Tony or Smith-Schuster? Oh, Smith-Schuster was Garbo last year. Yeah. I think Tony has upside. So, anyway. Fantasy was fun. I mean, the sleeper app keeps freezing on me right now on my phone. I don't know. I'm not I just giving use them it on a plug. desktop. I like the interface though. Like the interface is kind of neat. It's just yeah. I've, I've always been a Yahoo Sports guy for fantasy. Yeah. And the sleeper seems like they have their shit together, but we'll see. I like the uh, in-app. Like I guess you can bet in-app too. On the phone. I didn't know that. Uh, I'm not. I'm not risking that one. <laughs> Yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, well, okay. You're giving me two tight ends. All right. Yeah, I need to. Right. And we'll put them up against Pittman and see who had a better year. Anything else going on in your guys' week? Nope. Honestly, it was like four days ago. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Normally, it's like, oh, we have something to talk about from the weekend. But uh, mm-hmm. in this case, all I have is last night, I did go to Friday Night SmackDown at uh, Scotiabank Arena. Now, I saw a lot of people say. there. Dude. Okay, so I appreciate the fact that WWE, I don't know if they do this in every town, but they use part of the Real Sports Apparel store as like a merchandise location. Like a WWE shop? Yeah, but they opened it at noon. So the show starts at 7.45, doors at 6.45. I was there at, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, walked in, grabbed my shirts, and walked out. I bought the... Uh, the Edge slash Toronto Maple Leafs collaboration shirt and James won one too. So I got two of those. Thank you, pal. Yeah, you're welcome. Now, there is also a number of other things though. There is an actual Maple Leaf sweater that said Edge on the nameplate and then 25 for like 25 years, which I thought was pretty cool. Autographed by Edge as well. And it was like $500. <laughs> so I definitely was not buying that. But what I will say, um, man, pro wrestling fans. There's a lot I can say about pro wrestling. Fans. So this is where you're going to start. First of all, let me caveat. I had numerous opportunities to go to the show. You offered me yeah. a spot. People were like, I got an extra ticket. I, I somehow just didn't make it to the show. Like I, I had people offering me free tickets and I was just like, I'm good. Well, okay. So let's put a pin in the fans then. So the show itself SmackDown is like, okay, it's better live than it is watching on TV. All of WWE's TV on TV is very hard to watch because it's very, it's always interrupted by commercial breaks and their commercial breaks are always in the matches, right? It always, it always seems well, like, I mean, when, when Vince was persona non grata, it was getting better. I found it to I found the match times were longer on screen. Uh, only because I think they were reducing the amount of backstage shenanigans or in-ring promo stuff. So you, naturally, you got to watch more of the in-ring action before they cut to... Like, it felt like there was more meat in whatever you were watching as opposed to when it cuts away. So I felt like it, it got worse again once Vince came back. And Yeah, and they have a weird habit now of doing things like, all right, we're going to send damage control to the ring. 
and then their entrance starts and then they go to commercial and then they come back and they do like some backstage vignette and they go and they go like an on camera of the announcers and then they'll do like a progressive match flow and then they come like after like six minutes of these poor girls sitting in the ring doing nothing and but then the music is still going and and they start the music up again Uh, yeah and i'm like this is really weird imagine but you're made to think like they've been listening to the music the whole time or something and it's like imagine standing there and being like okay (laughs) one of the things they do during the commercial break that's so fucking weird they do like they pan the crowd and like oh it's dx time and they play the dx music and they start showing people in the crowd like doing suck it and stuff it's like okay and (laughs) this was like during it's so cringe it is the most. Dude, especially see like children doing it. I'm like, this is weird. no. The worst is when you see like that 55 year old guy who clearly peaked in the Attitude Era, and he's like, <laughs> and he's like, hairline. Yeah, he's got no hairline. He's got the beard where there's no mustache. It's <laughs> just the beard. Literally, no one would suck it, and this guy's going. <laughs> yeah, like, and he he's got the the old um, DX T-shirt where the print is cracking. And the shirt seen better days, and he won't let go of it. And it's like the faded black style shirt, and he's just going like this. That's no cringe. What I will say is that during this segment, as while Damage Control's just waiting in the ring for the rest of the show to start, Bailey is out there doing the sucker thing, like right in Michael Cole's face, and it's fucking hilarious. So <laughs> shout out to Bailey, who just is incredibly entertaining, even when the cameras aren't on her. Um, but so like when you're there live, at least you get to watch the match in its entirety. Cause I feel like as soon as they go to commercial, like, okay, obviously for WWE, I, I'm not watching the commercial, but <laughs> when AEW does it and they go to like a picture in picture commercial break, I still fast forward through the picture in picture. I'm not watching this shit. So yeah, <laughs> this, this dude's frustrated. They're like, you know what? I know we know we have to run ads. We're going to do picture in pictures and go, fuck this. This guy's, yeah, this guy's I, complaining about <laughs> cutting out of matches and then to saying that even if they didn't, he would fast forward through. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. So what do you want? So he wants so a background company. Look, look, UFC does television shows as well. Yeah, and they have ads and yes, commercials. But, but they don't cut in the, in the middle. No. So, like, they have a round, and then sometimes at the end of the round, they'll, like, do a 30-second break and then come right back. But when the fight is happening, they just... Imagine watching a hockey game, and they go to commercial break during, like, a power play or something. And you're like, ah, it's, it's the away team on the power play. Who gives a shit? And we'll come back when the home team's on the power play. Honestly, though, the way sometimes Sportsnet runs their shit, they fucking come back late in the middle of a play or some shit all the time. It's annoying as shit. And that's only for a couple seconds, though. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, when the broadcast screws up, you miss a few seconds of the game. You're like, well, what the fuck? In wrestling, you miss almost more than half the match. Happens during the commercial break. Like, they'll do a minute of a wrestling match, and they'll do, like, a spot to the outside. Like, all right, James is on fire. Maddie's hurt on the outside. (laughs) Raw rolls on. And then, like, they'll go to commercial. And they come back. And they'll come back. This is what you missed. Guy gets thrown into post. Yes. Yeah. And like so, all the heat happens during the commercial break, and as yeah. soon as you're back for the commercial break, they're up and running, and James <laughs> is up baby, on Maddie again. The baby face shine is all during the break, so that nobody gets too behind the, and the heel loses the heat. It's it's all just, anyways. The benefit of going to SmackDown Live <laughs> is that you get to watch the match in its entirety, and honestly, like some of these matches, like I fast forward through a lot of SmackDown and Raw, a lot of it. But since I'm sitting like forced to watch these matches, I was like, you know what? 
these were all really good matches. Like, the, t- the girls' tag match was fucking incredible. I imagine if I watched it on TV with three commercial breaks throughout it, I would have absorbed none of it. I wouldn't have been in- interested because I would have, you know, just because you're not actively watching it. You're in and out. And even if you aren't fast forwarding through the commercials, your attention span has been broken and you've been shown all these other things. And now you're supposed to like go back into getting lost in this moment. So much of wrestling is like suspending your disbelief and immersion trying to get into what they're doing. But when you are subverting that and showing me different things and then telling me to come right back into it, that's too much for the human brain, honestly. Yeah. So it was fun. (laughs) I enjoyed it. Um, I will say this, though. I think part of the reason why I did enjoy it, and maybe I'm getting a little too, uh, too big league now, but I was up in the box. You know, I, I, we were talking about the box. Yeah, we are talking about the box when I saw AEW, and we were up there too. Honestly, I think it's the only way I'm going to do it from now on. Because you really run the risk at wrestling events of like who you're sitting beside, man. Because... Oh yeah, there's there's some uh, smelly folks. There's some <laughs> smelly motherfuckers who I'll go say, to some of these wrestling events, man. There's some smelly fucks. The like guys that smell like weak old salami and fucking like dirty old balls. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it. Okay, so have you ever seen that meme of like Homer Simpson where someone says, uh. wrestling belts. And he's like, yeah. And then like the very next picture is $4 deodorant. He's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Turns his nose up like, are you kidding me? I'm not spending $4 on deodorant. That's true. There's there's so many categories of fan that I think, I mean, it's weird. If If you're in the ring, whether we were doing hosting duties or I imagine workers, like, that that it doesn't matter because you're you're separated from it and you don't care you just want a reaction right but when you're in the crowd all of a sudden it matters <laughs> like now you're like oh you know like guys who go into business for themselves and just try and get over with their chance and shit like you you know again coming from someone who did that and is quite infamous on a certain ring of honor dvd looking back on it i'm like wow that's annoying right like you know um it's it's I don't know, man. It's like there's some guys who just, I remember, <laughs> I remember, uh, going to, uh, the exhibition stadium in the early nineties with my mom and my brother for like a WWF event. And like the main event was like Shawn Michaels versus gold dust in a ladder match. That was August 24th, 1996. Yes. We were there. We were there. Did you do both days? Like, did you do the event with like the baseball game, the tug of war, the meet and greets oh, and everything? Same day. That was the same day. Oh, yeah. it was the same. Okay. I was so young, but like, yeah, that, that was a sick event. I, that's where I got my like foam title. Yeah. There was a, uh, I also have a foam title <laughs> from that event. There was uh there was a guy during the softball game that just kept yelling belief in leaf for leaf Cassidy. Who was Al Snow? Oh, okay. And it's just really, I just I like that sticks in my brain, and it's unfortunate that it does because it really shouldn't. But that's a guy trying to go into business for himself. You know what I mean? Or I there remember is. at ECW, I think it was their last TV taping was at Hershey Center. I was there. Um, some yep. guy would just kept yelling "blow jobs for bus tickets," and I don't remember who he was yelling it at, but he just kept doing it, and I was like, "That's, that's kind of annoying too." 
That's also the event that Russell Oliver got jumped and his ass kicked no, and the money that stole. that was a Monday no? Night Raw. Uh, and that, uh, that's a rumor. Okay, did you hear this rumor, Dustin? I don't know about what you're talking about. Russell Oliver was... <laughs> Uh, he always said, anyone who brings a sign that oh, like says Oliver Cashman. Oliver Jeweler, that guy? Yeah. yeah. At a Raw in Toronto, he said, anyone who has a sign that says Cashman will, will get money. Like, he would give them, like, cash. And, like, I guess people brought signs or something that said, like, Cashman is gay or something. <laughs> and he was... And I guess, like, people were, like, jumping him for money. I, that's what I heard from back... I don't know if it's true. Purely speculation. But one of the funnier stories that I've heard about that kind of stuff. But, yeah, man. Wrestling fans can be the best cats they can be odd cats it's uh the spectrum is very very wide on that front mm-hmm. but if you're up in the box you got nothing to worry about sir nope i am not nothing to worry about at all and i have a a host there that will serve me beer directly to me there's a there's a restroom just outside the door that there's no line and yeah like you're high above all the uh the smells, we'll say. Heat rises, though, brother. Yeah, I was going to say, doesn't that shit just rise up to you? It can, but in this case, I guess it's high enough where it wasn't a big enough issue. I'm, like, rolling through my phone right now because I feel like I have a video of that, in, like, a large portion of that show from August 24th, 1996, like, on my phone. Like, but someone, how? like, has a camcorder video that I found floating around, and I saved it on... A phone somewhere. I don't know if it's even backed up on this one, but nevertheless. SmackDown was fun. Uh, of course, WWE is coming back to Toronto in uh, December, like they always do with a, a house show. So that will be, honestly, that's way more fun to go to those events because then you actually just get to watch wrestling instead of, you know, the Grayson Waller effect for no reason. <laughs> Brother, LA Knight is over though, man. Yeah. That man. Oh, all the people walking around with LA Knight shirts. They love chanting along with LA Knight. It's pretty cool. But also, the merch tables? Jesus Christ, dude. So when I walked over, though, I probably walked over at like 5.45 because I was going to have dinner at Real Sports at 6 o'clock. Walking, and so doors don't open until 6.45. An hour before the doors opened, there was thousands of people in line waiting to get in. Toronto, Toronto. loves the line. Toronto loves the line. All I can think of is like, so, like, but it's not like it's a concert where it's a GA floor or something where you're trying to like rush to the front of the stage or something. I get that to a certain, I would never do it, not but I get that from a certain perspective. Like if you're a huge fan of this, and I think on this very show, we've talked about this of like girls at concerts and how they want to be like as close as possible, whatever. Right. But why are y'all lined up for a, a reserve, a reserved seating show? The only thing I can think is that merch. maybe they want to rush the merch. But there's merch outside. It's the same as planes. Why does everyone stand up on the fucking plane when it goes in order? Like, what are you, like, what are you waiting for? Honestly, after, no, after traveling with a child, I tell you why. Because you have a stroller to get down. You have your fucking luggage to get down. You got to set up. Your, like, it's a thing. You do. So- 90% of the people on that plane don't. They all just stand there for 40 minutes. If we're talking about getting off the plane, I'm yeah. with you. There's absolutely... Unless... You're, child thing whatever but like no there's no reason to get up until it's time for you to get up the problem is getting on the plane and there's always like those lines that form like unofficial lines of but people they waiting call even though the sections 
They do, but here's the problem. There's too many motherfuckers who don't understand how it works. Like there was, okay, so I was flying to LA in May or whatever, or April, and I remember they called my zone, like zone two or whatever. And You had zone two? Yo, you spent money on that flight, eh? I did pay for the upgrade on zone two. I was zone two, and they called zone two, and there's a bunch of people lined up, and I started like asking people online, hey, what zone are you in? And she's like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? So it doesn't matter. There's lines for everybody. I'm like, do you have zone two? She's like, I, it doesn't matter. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go in front of you. <laughs> I'm going to assume you don't have zone two, lady. And I'm just going to walk in front of you. This fucking bitch thought that like, <laughs> oh, I'm just lined up because I'm allowed to. Too many people don't understand how it works. And the other problem is that Air Canada, I'm going to say Air Canada because I imagine a lot of airlines have fucked this up, but Air, Air Canada has especially fucked this up. That they are so poor with transporting bags, you're going to fly from Toronto to Los Angeles and your bag's going to end up in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> so no one wants to check a bag anymore. So everyone has a carry-on and a lot of people have carry-ons that shouldn't even be carry-ons, but nevertheless. So every motherfucker getting on this plane has a carry-on. And guess what? All of these planes don't have enough storage capacity for all these fucking carry-ons. Yeah. So if you're the one who's just like, oh, I'm just going to wait until zone six is called and I'm going to sit on my ass until zone six is called and you're the last person to get on that plane, they're going to be like, oh, sorry, we're going to check that bag for you. Ah, uh, I see what you're saying. That's what I'm trying to avoid. I'm just trying to avoid these stupid motherfuckers who don't know how to like check bags properly from checking my shit. The reason why I'm not checking my shit and putting it in the overheart, overhead compartment is because y'all motherfuckers are going to lose my bag. So... No, easy, no. Easy solution. Have a kid. You get on first. I'm not having a kid. Fuck that. Or just take one. Yeah. Oh, just, <laughs> this is my kid. <laughs> just, yeah, just or, or just, pig, with you. just piggyback behind, like, find a broad with one kid and be like, hey, can yeah. I say, like, I'm traveling with you guys and I'm helping you with the kid yeah. and whatever and you get like, on I'll first. even help you, like, push the stroller. Like, we'll just, <laughs> just make some sort of agreement here. Let me get in. So I can get on this plane. Well, this is dissolved into like just a hating about lineups and plane lineups. So, I mean, there's. I was gonna say, do you want to do you want to go into the man of the evening, or you want to go into that later? We can do it now, I guess. Uh, We had him later on the list of topics, but since we're talking about SmackDown, might as well go right into the rated R superstar Edge. Twenty five years was celebrated of his career in WWE, at least uh, on Friday Night SmackDown. And we're talking about it now for a number of reasons. One, Edge is a Toronto guy, Orangeville to be specific. And if you think back of all of the very popular professional wrestlers, there's been Canadian stars, right? Like Chris Jericho, Brett, Bret Hart, Owen, Owen Hart, Hart. Um, he who should not be named. They, they the rumor all... that Triple H was Canadian for a long time. <laughs> what rumor is that? <laughs> you, you don't know this rumor? No. So they're saying because his name was Jean Paul Levesque that he oh. was actually half French Canadian. It <laughs> was this thing okay. from like the 90s, early 2000s. And even more recent stars like Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Montreal guys, you know, the Hearts, Calgary guys, um, Jericho, a Winnipeg guy, Omega is uh, a Manitoba guy as well, right? So there's not a lot of guys in the history of big wrestling stars to come from Toronto, right? Everyone always thinks, oh, Canada, a big wrestling country is like, well, we're really big fun country. <laughs> like if you say like, oh yeah, 
uh, let's cheer for Chris Jericho. Like Jericho grew up. Well, I don't know if he grew up there. Like at some point, he lived or was born in New Manitoba, York. which is and then he, New York most of his life, I think, because his dad played right. for the Rangers. Exactly. You know, Manitoba ain't anywhere near Ontario. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, not, they're right beside each other. But I guess my point is. It's not like he's Manitoba's close. not near Ontario. Actually, they border each other. Justin, <laughs> they're right beside each other. Yeah, what but like it's like relative to the huge. size of the country. Yes, yeah. like they are massive provinces that are like Winnipeg couldn't be any further fucking away from Toronto. It's an incredibly huge country. Anyways, my point is, Edge is probably I have to think about it, but the biggest Toronto-based wrestler ever. Yeah, like, yeah. At least the most successful. Like, I mean, you guys certainly most successful because like he's in the Hall of Fame, multiple time world champion. He's done everything, relatively speaking. Like and TLC matches, like him and, and Christian yeah, for, pretty much founded those. And yeah, for and for better or worse, he'll always be remembered for those TLC matches. And it's 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 nice to see that all those guys are still walking, right? <laughs> like those guys put such a pounding on their bodies, like. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's quite the contrast because this past week on Dynamite, you saw the Hardy Boys against the Young Bucks, and brother, did did Jeff look rough? And I know Jeff has obviously had you know other challenges throughout his life, physically and uh, with substance abuse and whatever. But you look at the way Jeff was moving around on Wednesday night, and look at the way Edge was moving around on Friday night. It's, they're totally different guys, right? Yeah. Um, Edge has stood that's and I mean that's coming from a guy who had a broken neck at one point or whatever what like the the injury that caused him to miss a large portion of his career. It, it's quite remarkable if you think about like where that guy was a few years ago to what he looks like now and how he's still able to perform at the level he is. But the question also comes up of like how much longer can this guy do it? Like he's, I think he's in his late forties, and Edge? he still looks fantastic. I think he's fifties. But looks fantastic regardless, right? Yeah. Like it, he doesn't look like he's that old. And I know a lot of wrestlers will wrestle uh, to... I mean, wrestlers wrestle later in life than any other professional athlete. A lot of professional athletes will wrap up their career in their mid-30s, whereas wrestlers, a lot of times, like their peak is in their mid-30s. Yeah, because professional athletes make like 30 sheets a year where the peak wrestler maybe makes like $800,000. Yeah. That and there's, that's, that's I would good. say there's also... Certain top of the game wrestlers wrestle into their whatever because there is a there has to be a level of addiction to the reaction. Like if you're, you know, fucking Darren Helm, right? You're not you're not entering a, an arena full of twenty thousand people screaming your name like every twice twice a week or whatever it is. Like there's got to be an addiction factor to that reaction response and energy that you know like i mean edge is a perfect example look at his return from his previous retirement at the royal rumble you can't look look at the reaction you can't rep that's you can't buy that right and if you're one of those wrestlers who has that history and has that like response and respect among fans I got to imagine that's got to be hard to walk away from because it's, it's a very high form of validation. 
Right, but at the end of that episode of SmackDown, when you look see Edge look over at the front row and his wife and his kids, it's like, I get it. Like, if you want to say, I'm going to walk away now, it's not much better way to, to do it. Maddie, I don't know if you saw it, but if you get a chance, look up Edge's gear from last night. Like Am I going to like his, it? His tights, his boots. The jacket. James, the fucking jacket, dude. And did you see what was on the jacket? What patch was on his shoulder? Unbelievable. Yeah. This motherfucker had a Boreas Salming patch on his ring jacket. Like, what a, what a touch. What a hero. That oh, that is sick. I'm looking at, like, the pictures of it now. Yeah, did these all-white tights. Did you hear what he said the, He's, uh, when he closed the show? Yeah, he no. said, hopefully next time I'm here, it's because the Leafs are winning a cup. He said, I'm holding a cup, yeah. Yeah. Which is- I'm not going to lie. Okay, so like over when I was younger, I was always like gravitated toward the black and red, the black and green, the black and blue, like the darks with like the accent color. As I've gotten older, man, there's something so crisp about a white getup like this, like ed- yeah. Edge's getup, where it's like, it just, the fear I think it has is not that I never liked it. I think the fear has always been, you're going to get it dirty. So it's, you know. Well, that's the thing. And there, it's kind of become a, a tradition almost in wrestling now where a lot of guys wear white only at WrestleMania because it's it's something you're only going to be able to wear once and then it's going to get all scuffed up and dirty. It's never going to look good ever again. So a lot of guys only wear their WrestleMania whites on WrestleMania. So mm-hmm. I think that's another telling sign that Edge might be you know officially wrapping it up where he's wearing white on his way out where I think if it was... I don't know. I don't know. I'm just... I just think there's a lot of things he does on purpose, and I feel like that was really done on purpose to, to go out on a high note, right? So I'm, I'm not gonna. There's few oh. guys though that really, to me, if he does go out that way, like there's few guys to me that really kind of broke that. One of the first where, like, and I'd say Stone Cold is up there too, and The Rock that really kind of, no matter how much you tried to hate him, even as a heel. You just loved them. Like there was a respect, like I would say yeah. people had over and above the character for what they were able to do as yeah. a performer. Um He was uh, just he he was everything. Like he just I don't know, I just cause I grew up in the heyday of Edge and being peak and he was my favorite at a point. And it's like he just seemed like one of those dudes that you can tell the guys that are in it for a bit of the ego and the paycheck and shit like that. But he just seemed like he was a dude all the time who was in it because he just loved it. He loved, you know, entertaining fans. He loved entertaining everyone else around him. He loved telling a story. Like he just seemed like he had a true passion for it. And so, I mean, if this is how he goes out, what a way. It's also, I think there's no more in, indication of the kind of status he holds within the industry then if again if this is it he went up in his hometown like that's like i don't think people understand how rare that is in the industry that a you go out not looking at the lights right and b in your hometown like those are two very non-existent things in professional wrestling so to have those two happen, it, I think it shows how much he's earned internally in the industry. Um, quick, 
Oh, I would like to ask everyone two questions. One, where do you think Edge ranks all time? Mm. Top 10? I, I would say top 10, but that's just because, obviously, for me, bias and also probably peak interest of wrestling was Attitude Era and kind of that point. So I think he came in at the right time also. I don't know. It's hard for me to say. Um, because wrestling has such a long history and it's changed so much over the years that it's it's almost hard to compare apples to apples sometimes. Like if you talk about like, I don't know, like some of the biggest box office attractions in the 60s and 70s, like if you talk about Bruno San Martino who held the world championship for eight years or whatever it is, like his style today wouldn't capture the audience's attention like a John Cena would. And even John Cena isn't capturing the attention of the audience. He is now because he's of legendary status. But like if John Cena was doing his thing now in a, a world that's used to Omega versus Offspray, like it wouldn't fit. Um, in terms of pure technical ability, a guy who has all the tools, like he's he's, the, he's a Hall of Famer. He deserves to be in that conversation. But when I think about the best of all time, I think about The Undertaker is probably my number one in terms of longevity and how he's able to do everything. And he was able to do everything and compete and compete with everybody, even though he was like six foot ten. Like Undertaker made you forget that he was six foot ten. And he I think also that's made why you forget I forget that he was alive. Like a lot of the times you're like, this is the dead man. Right. Like he was just right. Yeah. So that's what who I always immediately think as probably the best of all time. Even though like no one ever says that. Like everyone says Steve Austin or The Rock or Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan or Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels or I don't know if I said Ric Flair or not. It doesn't matter. You get the idea. Like, there's always like that handful of guys that everyone talks about, and then more old school guys will talk about, you know, Bruno Sammartino and George Buddy Hackenschmidt. Rogers and Pat O'Connor and George Hackenschmidt. Yeah, like, <laughs> so it is tough to say, but like, yeah, of his day, like, certainly one of the best to ever do it, and he's accomplished a whole lot. So that's why I think, like, what better way to go out, and especially if you look at like in 2011 or whatever year it was when he was forced to retire. Um, prematurely obviously he didn't get to go out the way he wanted to go out like he didn't get to like he still had so much left in the tank there's so many things he still wanted to do there was he didn't get to have the retirement that he wanted this seems like a pretty you know nice way to go out in your hometown i mean why not now if Tony Khan throws uh, three weeks, he's going to show up. And, I know I was going to say, cause that apparently that was the thing, right? Like he, WWE wasn't going to clear him. Tony Khan approached him. And when the fed heard Tony Khan, Tony Khan, Tony Khan, uh, Oh, I should probably give myself one of those. Shouldn't I? Samsonite. I was way off. Um, Tony Khan approached that when WWE heard it, they were like, no, 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 we'll just match that. And you can come back. At least that was that's the story. Um, the other question I had for you guys before we inevitably move on: If you had a favorite Edge moment, like if something sticks out to you, is like that is the most Edge moment. What would it be? I, I personally have two. Well, the first thing I always think of is WrestleMania 17, the spear of Jeff Hardy off the ladder. That was one of that's my. That's the first thing that always come to mind for me. Um, I don't. I don't know what else other than like him losing in Toronto to John Cena was like that attitude adjustment off the top of the ladder through a couple tables and John Cena winning the world title again. Like I, I remember that. Mine's the like that. 
the New Year's Revolution cash-in. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, there was also the live sex celebration on Monday Night Raw. That's, yeah, that's, that was pretty yeah. good, too. <laughs> that's pretty good, too. Yeah, I mean, um, that's I mean, a testament to that guy. Like, if you think about it, he went Well, what about Maddie? Hold on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would probably say either the first TLC match or the, the Money in the Bank cash-in. The, the, if you think about all the things we've talked about, whether it's we've talked about work rate, we've talked about pushing the limits with the live sex show, we talked about he, he's in the brood, he's a goth, like, um, there's there's really no, even if you think about his themes, like he had Rob Zombie, like we forget that he had Rob Zombie as a theme for a while, <laughs> you know, yeah, sure did. um, it's. I mean, the guy was very, very much like another Canadian, Chris Jericho. He's been able to reinvent himself, sometimes major, sometimes minor, but in ways that allowed him to continue and move with the times. Something that's very difficult. Um, so, and you know what? I, I obviously like he didn't want to retire when he did, but it he could probably look at that as a blessing in disguise, because you know, as uh, this is a Jim Cornette line. But it's, it's, it's a quote from a, a song from like, I don't know what year the song came out. Like it's an old song because Jim Cornette talks about it. But he would always say, how can we miss you if you won't go away? Mm-hmm. So it can work out to, like that pop he got when he came back at the Royal Rumble when it was a surprise. Like that's such a Wild. huge road warrior pop that you're not going to get if you're a guy we see on television every week. It just doesn't happen. And not to mention that I feel like this show was specifically written and created for me. Did you guys ever watch Haven that aired on Showcase and Sci-Fi in the US? No, Edge's first acting gig? No. So the reason why I say I, I feel like it was written for me, because the lead actor in that show is Emily Rose, who plays um, Elena Fisher from the Uncharted series. So, and she looks just like Elena too, because they modeled the character after her. So I'm like, oh, it's Elena come to life. I'll watch the show. And like the second scene, you see fucking Jim Leahy rolling up on a bike. I'm like, oh, because I'm a huge Trailer Park Boys fan. I'm like, so we have Elena and fucking Leahy. This is great. And then like seasons later, Ed shows up and like, this is just all my favorite things of Uncharted and uh, Trailer Park Boys and wrestling all mushed into one. And, I mean, filmed in Canada, too. So, anyways, the point is, I don't know if he would have had time to do those things had he not, you know, taken time off from wrestling because of the neck injury. And he got to do all this acting stuff. Like, if you look at, like, the career this guy's had, like, it's it's pretty fucking great. And now yeah. he's, you know, just able to go home and chill with his family. Well, or He'll, like, be, in, take, he'll take, be in Percy Jackson this fall, so, on Disney+. Plus. Well, Who's he playing? Aries. Nice. That's a good role for him. Greek God of War. Love it. But I do think there is a distinct possibility that if Tony Khan throws like $10 million at him and says, hey, come in and do one match with you and Christian versus the Hardy Boys or something. Do one more TLC. No, dude, the money is in two matches and it's a triple threat between Edge, Christian, the Hardy Boys, and the Young Bucks. Oh, no. And then FTR. Oh, so, okay. So here's the thing. There's money on the table, right? Like, I was also thinking that they'd bring in the Dudleys, because why not? <laughs> Just all of them. The greatest, the greatest right? tag team thing of all time. But 
my question to you would be, would you, if you were him, would you want to do it? Now I know obviously like it depends on what the you money. Ask it's, it's a weird thing. Cause you, you kind of want that contained legacy, right? You don't want to soil. Like people have said, you don't want to soil your legacy by going somewhere else and, and doing the thing. Right. Um, I mean, not for a guy like Brian Danielson, who where your your legacy is still kind of being built, but Edge has this kind of, you know. Think of Ric Flair and the send off he got at WrestleMania twenty four, and then he's you know turns up in TNA he and passed starts. out during his match with with his former son in law. Now, like he was asleep. So yeah, wait, I former son in law? Yeah, him, Charlotte, and Andrade apparently are broken up. So we don't have to get. What? We're not a relationship podcast. So. No, no, that's yeah. That's we we <laughs> talked about this for too long. Dustin's like, who? Who's DMs? This is all news to me. I didn't know this is a thing. Charlotte Flair's DMs are open. All right. Probably yeah. she was in. She was in Toronto yesterday. Could have uh, looked go. her up. Could have slipped her the number. I do find it funny though, as I was like rolling through uh, Instagram today, and I saw Kayla Braxton like just walking through downtown Toronto. I'm like, that's my fucking building. Like, I can that's see my where my apartment building is. Like, it's my house. <laughs> like, like shoot her a message. Uh, you can turn around and turn left. <laughs> <laughs> I have food on the stove. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just let yourself in. No problem. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, Edge had a hell of a career. And uh, as a Toronto guy, too, it's unprecedented, really. And I hope he just finds happiness in whatever's next, whether that is going to. AEW to work a program with Christian or that's just hanging out with his family. Either way, I think it's the ball's in his court to do whatever he likes. And regardless of what he chooses, I think we can all agree that he truly is a treasure in the world of professional wrestling. This episode is brought to you by Now Your Treasures. Now Your Treasures are purveyors of licensed fine art prints for movies, comics, TV, and video games. Source from galleries in the U.S. and U.K., which include artists from all over the world. Visit now your treasures on Instagram and send a DM 43.6 to receive 43% off any order. All orders are shipped with tracking and complimentary insurance. View the entire ever-expanding inventory at nowyourtreasures.ca or .com. That's N-O-W-Y-O-U-R-T-R-E-A-S-U-R-E-S dot C-A or .com. And remember, go to now your treasures on Instagram. Send a DM 43.6 to receive 43% off any order. And remember, now your treasures will be at Fan Expo this week. They're in booth uh, 912 if you want to go say hello. And there's a very, also a very good chance that you'll bump into Maddie or James. 66% chance. A 66 chance. There's a, it's a good chance every every time. Yep, sixty like percent of the time it works. Every time, there it is. That's it. Yeah, and there's three of us, so that means there's a thirty-three percent chance that you're going to run into us. But I'm twice the man that you are, so that means that you only have a fifteen and a half percent chance of Fucking seeing Scott anyone Stark. better than me at Fan Expo. And you know who has a zero percent chance of playing in the majors next year? It's uh, Paul DeYoung. Oh, I, thought, I thought you were going to <laughs> I was going to say, that could have worked for either of them, actually. I yeah. didn't even think of that. Um, but. Oh, no. Wrong one. Say, if we're talking about Wander Franco. We'll start with Paul DeYoung just because the news came out today as Bo Bichette was activated to the Toronto Blue Jays roster coming off the injured list. Uh, they had to make a move to fit Bo back onto the roster. And in doing so, they have DFA'd which I always find funny to say DFA'd 
because I guess you don't need an ED at the end. They have DFA. <laughs> they have designated for assignment Paul DeYoung, who during his time with the Toronto Blue Jays played in 13 games. He had 44 plate appearances and three hits for an average of 068. That's so bad. Wasn't this dude an all-star? Well, he was an all-star in 2019. He, I mean, he had 30 home runs that year. Like, what happened? Now, I'm not expecting him to show up in Toronto and all of a sudden be, you know, the next Troy Tulowitzki or something. But, and he was decent with a glove, too. I can't say there's ever a time when he was out there where I felt like, uh-oh, when the ball was hit towards him. He played well defensively. And I can't even seriously criticize the Blue Jays for bringing in Paul DeYoung. Because again, like his numbers prior to coming to the Blue Jays this season, he hit 233 in St. Louis. He had 13 home runs this year. Like it wasn't like he was a horrendous player in St. Louis this season. It just never worked out here in Toronto. And, I, and you know what? 13 games and 44 plate appearances really isn't enough of a sample size to say uh, anything less than 100 at-bats, I think is not enough of a sample size to say whether you are this person or you aren't this person. The problem is, it's been half that time, you know, 44 at-bats, but we're now in August, late August, actually, as scary as that sounds, the X is already running, and the Jays need to win some ball games. And if this was April, and he had played 13 games and batted 0-6-8, it probably wouldn't be a problem. You would say, okay, you know what? We're going to give him May, and we'll see at the beginning of June what he looks like. Unfortunately, we're just, we don't have time for that. By we, I mean the Blue Jays. Unfortunately, the Blue Jays don't have time for that. And Paul DeYoung is the, the victim of circumstance, and also the circumstance of, um, of one Babe Ruth of the Blue Jays, the greatest to ever hold a bat, and David Schneider, who came up and all of a sudden has produced significantly more than Paul DeYoung was. And you can play him in the middle infield. So it's not a significant issue to lose Paul DeYoung. Now, look, at the time when the trade was made, the trade deadline was like the very next day when Bo got hurt in that game. Like, Bo is hurt. Trade deadline is less than 24 hours away. They had to do something. There was a a bit of a panic because you don't know. I understand. So Bobachek coming back after 13 games, that's a great scenario. But there was also a scenario where Bobachek didn't come back at all, all year. And then you were left with, and this is before David Schneider was even called up. So you're looking at your, your roster and you're saying, the only guy who, can actually, who actually has like major league games at shortstop on this roster right now is Santiago Espinal, who isn't great. <laughs> and I love Santi, like, but he's not great. He's he's serviceable bench player. He's not a starting major league shortstop. So they had to do something. So for all the people who are upset about the fact that the Blue Jays went out and traded magic beans for him, they're magic beans. Like they're prospects. Who cares? Like what like it is what it is. I would rather them done this and failed than just said, oh well, let's just hope Boba Shett comes back. <laughs> like they had to do something, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the difference. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go. I was just, I was gonna say, I think the difference is though is, it's one thing if your guy is, you're kind of, 
lose a player that is good, but not arguably currently the one of the best players in the AL, right? So at that point is everything, anything, anything you're going to do is going to be a massive downgrade on Bo Bichette. So you get someone literally to just plug in from almost a day-to-day basis. So from that, I get it. But at the same time, if they did nothing, I would have been like, whoever they're putting in is going to be such a significant downgrade to what Bo's playing. I could have, I would have been comfortable not giving up anything and just playing somebody there as a stopgap. Right, but I think that's what Young was supposed to be, right? He was supposed to be that stopgap. Right, but there's probably some guy in the minors they could have just called up or someone they could have gotten without having to give up anything that would have done the exact same. Or Elvis Martinez. There you go. Right, but okay, but I think the the logic of what they were thinking was... If it's long term. Yeah, and and again, like, DeYoung hit 13 home runs this year. Like, he wasn't... He is he the power guy who was an all star in 2019 hit 30 home runs? No, is he this horrendous player hitting 068? No, no, like he's probably somewhere the, in between, right? And the other thing is, it's no more apparent than where the Jays sit right now because the Jays are now a half game out of the wild card. So, sad. I mean, <laughs> it really is, sad, and if you think about it, their schedule does them no favors um towards the back half of the year so like they're gonna play the orioles next which is uh, they played the orioles like shit they get two series against the guardians and the nats but their september oh boy it starts off easy with the rockies the a's and the royals but the rangers they always have trouble against the red sox they always have trouble against the yankees and they have back to back to end september they play the yankees rays yankees rays yeah, but fortunately, the Yankees are dog shit right now. Dude, the Jays are dog shit against the AL East. It doesn't matter who. I could have a team in the AL East, and we'd probably beat the Jays 6-4. to four. Like, that's actually, it'd be, like, it'd be 2-1, because that's just the games the Jays plays, play these days. Every team looks it's like always, they have Sandy Koufax. It, it's always a telling stat. When I look at the, the standings, and there's always like certain things that jump out at me, like run differential. And the Blue Jays, at time of recording, are 55 games, or 55 games. <laughs> I wish you're 55 games over 500. They are 55 <laughs> runs positive in the run differential. The teams ahead of them in the wild card, Seattle is a plus 71. And then Houston is a plus 81. And then Tampa is a plus 147. So every team that's above them in the standings, in the wildcard standings, are all teams that have a significantly higher run differential. So they're scoring more runs and they're giving up less runs. Like that's just how you win but baseball the, games. I, th- I feel we like know that's this. a the very Jays telling stat. The Jays are bottom in the league in runners in scoring position. Oh, it's, oh, it's so bad. This is the worst thing. Ever. Like, it's the most frustrating thing of watching the Blue Jays. It's like they're fucking is seeing knees, how many guys like leave on base. knees shake when they hit the plate and guys are on base. I, or, like, they just close their eyes. Like, I don't understand it. And a part of it is, you know, talking this over with Pops, he's like, you know, the the league knows the Jays swing at everything, right? Like, if the Jays stopped swinging, they'd get strikes because guys would have to attack the zone. But the Jays will literally swing at anything. So they're getting junk all day. They're getting 
curveballs down and away. They're getting high fastballs. You know, they're getting two seamers that fade. It's just, they can't. Because, dude, if I swung at everything, I would throw, or if you swung at everything, I'd throw you junk too, you know? So. Yeah, the J, I don't know. It's just, I feel like it's all for nothing, to be honest. Like, they're going to, I feel like they're going to get that wild card spot. They're going to get blown out in the one game, or the Mariners are just going to go on another heater and just take them over. Well, I don't think it's, there's no one game anymore, fortunately. It's, or, I think it's a three game series yeah, and a They're going to get game blown and, up. They're going to get They'll just lose. Out. Yeah, they'll, they'll lose two straight games. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> I feel like it's definitely Danger Will Robinson danger right now for this team. Yeah. Like, listen, the, the, the record indicates a success. And, dude, there are divisions in this league where teams are uh, so trash, but they're that that's not their problem like the team they have to take care of their own business and as they say in the bear clean up your own side of the street and mm. the jays are not cleaning their own side of the street yeah i just it's it's so upsetting because of the attitude that these guys had like they were owed the respect of being last year and this year of being a top flight team yet to me you get that through performing consistently as being a top flight team like next year they gotta i'm already writing this season off to be honest and next year they just got to go in there and just say nope we just got to get to work play our best work hard blah 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 that's it like none of the showboating about you know stupid quotes about movies and popcorn and trailers and fucking because if that's the case this is pretty much an ass ramming by peter north the yeah i mean i don't want to write off this season just yet they're only a half game back of the wild card a lot can happen and i mean who knows by the time this podcast even drops bro two weeks ago they were like bro two weeks ago they're three and a half games up on the wild card yes but it's it's mainly because it's not that the blue jays have really been spinning their tires that much they haven't won a whole bunch of games in a row but like it's just because seattle has been incredible but there's lately. so many games they've lost like five games one nothing dude that's the thing is like there's there's supposed to be this offensive talented first team and the pitching and the bullpen and everything was supposed to be the issue these guys can't hurt hit worse shit yeah that's it's funny because it's been yeah literally the opposite where the pitching has been fantastic this year yes to a point where people are saying it I, I don't want to count any chickens. Cy Young, you know. Kikuchi. People are talking about Kikuchi and Cy Young. And I just, I, you know what? Remember, remember what I said last August, a year ago, or no, it's September, when I said Kikuchi's pitched real well in the pen. And I said it on this podcast. I said, I would not be surprised he comes back next year and has a stellar year. I mean, I, I can pull up my fan duel right now and show you the bet that I have for Kikuchi to win the Cy Young before the season started. Like, that was who What's I bet the pay- on. What's the payout on that? It wasn't great. I think I bet, like, 10 bucks to win 2000 or something. So that's, it was, that's like, 200 good. to 1, essentially. That's still good. That's, now, that's actually very good. Like, in terms of value and where it is now? Is he, He's not going to win it because, you know, John Schneider fucked me in terms of, like, every time Kikuchi has gone five innings and given up one hit, Schneider's like, all right, get the hook. Like what? He's he's throwing like eighty pitches. What are we doing? He can easily go to, and that happened way too often earlier in the season for uh, any real conversation of Kikuchi winning the Cy Young. But the point what we're making is that yeah, the pitching has been fantastic for the Blue Jays, and 
The yeah, defense they is just fantastic. Have, absolutely. You have gold glovers on the corners with Vladdy and Chapman and I mean, out in the outfield, other than George Springer. Like, it's, it's a black a, hole. Yeah. Like between we don't even you know what? They should just take Springer out entirely. Just throw just in man. <laughs> Yeah, just have Varsho and Kiermaier Varsho cover the entire outfield. <laughs> yeah, it actually might work. It might work. Um, actually, did you see that play the other day from uh, Luis Arise? Luis Arise from the Miami Marlins, and it was near the end of the game. It was like I think it might have been extras. The bases were juiced. Arise comes to the plate. And they were so terrified of what Arise can do. They're like, okay, you move over here. And they're moving uh, fielders all over the place. Wait, no, wasn't that where they have fi- all, everyone on the infield and no one in the outfield? They had five infielders. They took like essentially right field the right fielder out and put him in that where second bases. So you had like three guys on the right side and then two on the left. And there's two guys like out in the outfield still. But there's essentially no right fielder. And you can see Arise look up and see there's no one in right field. And he's like, okay. And he just chips the ball into right field and they win the game. <laughs> He's like, that guy's just so good that he can do that. They don't have guys like that. They don't have the Jays don't have guys who can just hit the ball where they want when they want. Yeah. Um, and they do have incredible defense, like we were saying. But again, I don't know if you, that would work because you would have a guy like Arise who come up and would just hit the ball wherever he wants. So, anyways, Paul DeYoung, all I can really say is uh Leave the memories alone. That's it. That's that's it. I just feel like it's appropriate anytime. Uh, maybe we'll I keep that one in our back pocket, James. And anytime a Blue Jay gets DFA'd, we'll uh, pump in the fuel, if you will. Oh God! Now there is some fuel to the fire on the Wander Franco story. Oh. We talked about it last week of what we knew about Wander Franco, and uh, there's still not a lot more information other than uh, a report from, I shouldn't say a report, a tweet or a, a post on X from MLB insider Hector Gomez. Who's really well and, respected when it comes to the Dominican. Like he's very, he's usually pretty bang on. Yeah, like he's well connected and like he's called the MLB insider for a reason like especially in that like portion of the world like he's really connected in what's happening in yeah, Major just League in Baseball. case anyone didn't know like he's very inside in the Dominican yes so Hector Gomez says a person very close to the investigation into the case of Wander Franco uh, they're quoted in saying this it will be very unlikely that Wander Franco will play in Major League Baseball again Judged by the results of the investigation that are currently being carried out, which directly commit him to the accusations against him. So, and I don't, I wish I had a, like a source to this. I don't know if I really want to say it. Um, There had also been discussion of another, and I I probably find this on Hector uh, Gomez's uh, Twitter, actually. I probably find it, but I will paraphrase in that there was discussion discovery of another alleged accuser uh, or whatever uh, yeah accusation towards wander franco and it is a unrelated party so between the pictures that came out that are being investigated by major league baseball and then there is another alleged incident slash accuser who is also a minor um that is not 
I mean, not known to be connected to the other person uh, that he is allegedly in pictures with. So all that being said, there is a number of different things that are now being investigated with Wander Franco. And based on the investigation, a lot of people are suggesting that he, yeah, is probably done. We'll never play in baseball ever again. I was at the, uh, the card shop the other day, Relics. You want to check them out, Young and Lawrence? Um, I'm going to stop saying it until they sponsor us. Uh, but <laughs> the, um, my boy there, David, we were talking about this. Like, you know, it started off in relation to like the card thing, right? Because they got a couple of big wander pieces in the shop, and he was like, they're, they're useless now. They're, they're worth nothing. Um, and in, in cards, you know, just for context, like people treat players as investments, right? Like people will lean into a player and buy his cards and work their way up to having high end cards and kind of like stocks, build a portfolio. <laughs> there you go. Um, based on that player myself, I probably took a pretty big hit on Zach Wilson right now. Um, although we can get into that later because for all intents and purposes, it sounds like Robert Sala is very happy with, uh, Zach Wilson, but I digress. Um, Wander's cards are studied, but then we started talking about the actual thing. And dude, I would not be surprised if we never hear what happens. And he just, I'm not saying he gets killed or anything, but he just disappears. Like he just, he doesn't play in the MLB. We never hear the results. It just, it's over. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how this ends. No, he'll play in some Venezuelan league. <laughs> Like, you know, on the topic of baseball cards, what is more valuable, a Don Russ 91 or a Topps? I feel like Topps is like the brand that people care about more. Is that true or yeah, not? Either or. I mean, the centering actually looks pretty good on that one, but mm, that, that was the, they call that the junk wax era because shit was way overprinted. Yeah, definitely overprinted, and they look like shit, too. Like, yeah. it's not a very clear image like if you compare well, that to that doesn't matter well well this is the tops card from around the same time well, i guess it's 1996 a few years later this looks way better than yeah. well aside anyway. from the player yeah so this is roberto alomar card that i'm showing the boys that i have in a, a top loader that's what you call a wander franco conversation we're really going for the we're setting the bar high the point is what i'm, what I'm making here is that yeah these cards that you have that is a player that you're like, oh, this guy's really good. Now, all of a sudden, this card is worthless, essentially, right? Now, Alomar did it. It was a different scenario. I but mean, it's kind of similar, actually. I mean, but, that's, the, that's the talk going on in a lot of the sports card realm right now is, you know, you like, do you lean into, like, especially, okay, this is going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's kind of important. Um, you have players like speculation is really big in sports cards, right? You want to know if a guy's going to make it big because you're going to get in early, pay the lowest price. The guy becomes a hall of famer. All of a sudden you're sitting on a bunch of his stuff and you're like, I got in, in the beginning. It's kind of like penny stocks, right? You, you know, like a guy like say Aaron Rodgers, like th there's a very small chance he's next week, a heinous crime. Like it's been 20 years of a career, right? Like the odds of, of at this point something ridiculous coming out is very small so you know it's just it's interesting how how this works and <clears throat> even david the car shop was like that's why i like pokemon now because pokemon doesn't touch little kids <laughs> and he's like and pokemon don't get hurt right so it's uh it's quite interesting especially in this in this side of sports you know there's a lot of people that lost a lot of money there's a guy who paid 
hundreds of thousands of dollars for a wander card that is probably just begging someone to take it for him for tens of thousands like imagine spending that much on a card and here you are right yeah like that what was it he spent two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and someone said that at this point he couldn't even give it away to card shops yeah and well i feel like you definitely could give it away right but i mean I just, you're not getting anything for it no especially paying yeah six figures that's pretty crazy that's like the dude who paid for that um what was it like three million dollars for that board ape nft and it's worth like 30k now <laughs> it's actually very similar only again the nft didn't touch anyone but yeah well that we know of i but yeah, yeah. So that's, the, that's the update on wander franco it's just um, with that though it's like i saw a thing where it came out that apparently david ortiz reached out to him to say uh asking how he could help him like dude like what are you gonna help he touching a 14 year old like fuck off like at that allegedly. point it's like allegedly, allegedly. but so, you know what I mean? I mean it's just yeah this is this is inescapable shit right so i guess it's in fairness to david ortiz it's possible that he's thinking what we were thinking last week of we don't know all the information yet we don't know if this is true or not we don't know what the relationship is between him and this alleged minor. But now that there's other people saying, hey, it's being investigated and it's not looking good. Now we start to get more information of like, okay, it sounds like this is uh, a bit more serious. So all I'm saying is, in fairness to David Ortiz, he may not know all the information just like we don't. So maybe he is just like just trying to help the guy because mm. because like cancel culture is like serious. Like people get canceled for shit that sometimes they shouldn't be canceled for, and like the the court of public opinion comes out and brands someone something. Oh, absolutely. Even though they didn't do anything, right? So I think it's really, really, really important as a society that we need to get all the facts, do a do proper the investigation, and then yes, if he is um, actually guilty of the things that are being suggested then yes, we should, you know, strip him naked and drag him through town square to a back of a horse. No, but I got, a, then, I got a question though. Hypothetically, say it comes out that, okay, it wasn't what we all thought. It ended up being either misunderstanding or a lie because you know what, like what if the situation is like we said, it's like, she's like a baby sister or like someone that he's known the family of growing up. And it just, the pictures look bad, but then they're like, yeah, we were just trying to get money out of them. And that's what comes out of it. How does he come back? I know because he didn't do anything wrong, but that kind of shit, people don't. Well, in the, you know in the I mean? side of cards, like it's the, that ship has sailed. Like the value will never be there because the, the hobby has already made up its mind, right? There's, there's nobody's going to jump back into that investment. I don't know. I, I feel like if, he is proven to have done nothing wrong and he comes back and he starts playing great baseball and then he goes on to have a hall of fame career and he hit you know 500 home runs and whatever like his card value will go right back up i don't think it'll ever maybe be not level to, of, yeah maybe not but i think at the end of the day if he's a hall of fame guy it doesn't matter what he was accused of in his second year in the league because no one's going to remember that 20 years from now possible yeah but there is also a second unrelated incident. So, like, 
<laughs> he may not have a 20-year career. He may not yeah. have a three-year career. But he's he's not going to have a two-more-day career. The second that this investigation is done, and honestly, contractually, I don't know what like the raise options are because I know a lot of athletes have a morality clause, right? So I think all yeah. contracts do. Oh. So it's probably the Rays are fine. <laughs> the Rays are fine. Yeah. And the you Rays know? are never going to spend money on a player ever again. <laughs> They're going to be like, fuck this. Yeah, we, we learned our lesson. We never did this before. <laughs> we finally like, opened the vault for this one guy. And this is what happened. So no, you know what's gonna happen? Everyone's gonna have sick investigation teams for Dominican players. Like seriously, like there, I would not be surprised if there's a kid who's like 18 years old coming out of the Dominican part of that yeah, uh, international it's, it's not free. Just the Dominican, like I don't think it has. No, but there. you know what I mean, right? Like in some of these parts of the world where things aren't the same way they are here in terms of how we view things. Although I think there pretty much is at the same time is when you have guys maybe come from Venezuela, from the Dominican, from Cuba and places like that. I guarantee you their investigation in terms of the background is going to be way more thorough now. Well, there's a lot of players who came up from those international contracts that would lie about their age, right? So I, this is Miguel a poor ha- defense. Okay. This is a, this is a very poor Miguel defense. Tejada. And I hope that you have a better lawyer than me. But if the defense was, hey, I was pretending to be younger so I can get into Major League Baseball at a uh, a more favorable price, in order to pretend to be younger, I had to date someone younger. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's living the gimmick, if you will. Like, the rationalization of and, like, the reasoning is just so thin. Yeah. But stop it. Get some help. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is why I didn't go to law school. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> yeah. um, maybe that can be an argument. Um, I would also like to make the argument that going forward, any major signings in the NFL should happen prior to us recording an episode, because last week we were literally talking about Dalvin Cook, and I don't know if we actually talked about it on the air. We're talking about like before we started recording of like where he's going to end up, and nevertheless, as soon as we stopped recording, Dalvin Cook officially signed with uh, the New York Jets, and we speculated about that i think for a while now that we're yeah. just like you know what i mean prob- i'm 90 percent sure he was there filming with hard knocks so that they could use that footage for when he signed like i have a funny feeling that was I've, that was all crafted right and you know what maybe that's a good jumping point into hard knocks as well we can make this one big conversation of uh the jets backfield and episode two of hard knocks that came out this week on hbo what was your thoughts, James? I know you're a much bigger Jets fan than I am, so I'll let you uh, take the lead on this one of how you felt about this episode. And I mean, to me, it's just Aaron Rodgers just seems like an awesome dude. I was just going to say, like, I think it's really changed the perception that the media's given about Aaron. Like, I was joking. I feel like the Jets are the most lovable team. Like, they're like they're portray- the way they're portraying them is making them very endearing to the audience. Like, I. I don't care if you hate the Jets or whatever. You can't sit there and watch that and tell me that you're like, fuck these guys. Like, they just seem very endearing, including Aaron Rodgers. Dude, I last year I was a fuck Aaron Rodgers guy. And I'm not saying I'm like, a, oh, Aaron Rodgers guy because he's a Jet. I'm saying it because I'm watching him. I'm watching, like, how he interacts with other players. Like, like I said, the fact that he's basically a coach, too. He's got, like, the headset on and he's involved. The respect he has amongst his peers and you know when he's talking to bryce young 
and he's like you know have a good season go like he's very encouraging he's talking yeah. to the coach the like, coach where he's calling him fat uh mm. like he's just he has so and everyone's just so happy to see him that i think i really think he just likes fucking with people like i really do yeah. and i think the whole media thing is just him fucking with people and i can relate to that because i'm like that like i love messing with people it's funny because like they even called it out i don't remember who said it to him but like at near the end of the episode when he was saying like talking to everybody after a game whatever and someone came up to him and was like, you know a lot of people. <laughs> he's like, I'm old. <laughs> yeah, he's like, right? I, I just, there, I don't know, man. The, the more I watch Robert Sala, the more I want to, like my brother and I, I just want to run through a wall for this man. He's a very inspiring individual. Um, it's funny how he looks up to Rogers. Did you see how he was like, what kind of speech should I give him? Like, he's asking Rogers what kind of speech he should give the boys, right? Um, which I think shows the type of respect that Rogers has around the league, uh, and especially in that dressing room. The uh, it's interesting to watch how like Salah's like they don't have any fight in them. They don't want to play whatever. And I couldn't really like I can't really see that because I'm not at his level. I can't tell that. And then to watch them go and spank the Panthers, like. Uh, I I really think the Jets' defense is going to be wild this year. And the other thing, that's what I want to take away from this. Will McDonald might come out of this series a, a star. And he's yeah. an edge rusher. But he's just, like, there's something wholesome about that dude. Um, and his Dude, speed, he was wearing a Demon Slayer, too. It was great. <laughs> and his speed off the line is just incredible. I think this Jets' defense is going to be one of the all-time great defenses, I think. Where Rogers putting up the two one like yeah, it was eleven sacks. Uh, 11 today. sacks. Oh my god, yeah, eleven sacks. Like there, and there's there's a, there's a team bonding that you're witnessing that I don't think was there. And like I said, the comments from Salah even on Zach Wilson is that, and I think it shows in the show he's embraced taking a step back, yeah. and learning from Aaron Rodgers. And I think it's paying off. He's performed pretty well in preseason, so we'll see. It's it's funny how like Rogers has become like this mythical creature to them. Yes. To where like um they they show those clips of Rogers picking up the grass and throwing it and like doing it almost before every single play. And I think it was um Garrett Wilson and McCole Hardman who like came up to uh Alan Lazard because he had played with him previously in Green Bay. And they're like, What what's he doing? Why 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 is he doing that? <laughs> he's like, I, don't know, like, I don't know man just let him do his thing you know that's what he does well he's like yo if you throw the ball like that you'd be doing it too <laughs> right yeah. like or if you could be able to throw what i um yeah like what i took away from both episodes because i essentially watched one on thursday and then one today was yeah Soleil. i would i would kill for that dude like i don't even know him personally and i've just seen him more i guess in depth through this but yeah i would i would fight jesus for that guy <laughs> um so i found that interesting and then one of the other things i i found and this isn't necessarily in relation specifically to the jets but just in sports in general watch 24 7 watch hard knocks watch shit like this if you're any level of guy, dude, who played any level of sport outside of a professional level, whether like the AHL, NHL, NFL, or college, 
don't ever say that, oh, if I did a little bit this, I could have made it. Absolutely not. Like, yeah. it is not. Like, you're on coke. You're drinking. You're fucking literally David Carradine belt around the neck as you're wanking it when you're saying that. Because watch how fast and strong these guys are. You will never make it. And you never had a shot. Like, your dream, like, you wake your ass up and smack yourself for even thinking that. You never had a chance. You never had your car. <laughs> Big fast and furious. A great example of that is when Brock Lesnar like walked away from WWE in 2004 or whatever it was and then tried to like play for the Minnesota Vikings and didn't make the team. Right. Like, like Brock fucking Lesnar. Brock yeah. Lesnar. He is a freak of nature. Now, he probably could have made the team if he like worked at it and went to NFL Europe like they wanted them to do and blah, blah, blah. And he would have made it in a couple of years. But at that point, he would have been like in his late 20s and no one's yeah. getting a, a job like as a defensive end <laughs> at that age. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm assuming you know, now you... in the next three episodes or a couple episodes, we'll see Dalvin Cook arrive. They'll roll B-roll yep. of him visiting before, right? And checking out the camp. And they'll do a, you know, a floating head of him talking about visiting and why what he saw and what made his decision and things like that so it's about to get a little more interesting and i'm sure they're going to use that to go into the tandem and the recovery of Brees hall which is getting his own mini doc with one jets drive which i think is going to be really good um so like the season has a lot of storylines that are yet to play out uh in hard knocks and i think i mean i'm excited to see Brees back i think Brees is going to take the majority of the snaps I really do. I think Cook is going to be there as a Weapon X kind of thing. Um, I imagine the snaps are going to be like 65-35 in favor of Brees if he's healthy with with Cook taking the, the 35%. But like that's an incredible backfield tandem that, I mean, different different times, like, you know, when you need to punch it in, like Dalvin Cook's going to be there. We need the, That's why I drafted him in fantasy because he's going to get a lot of those one two yard line pushes. The uh, the pass option thing like that's going to be Brees, right? So uh, it'll be interesting. It's lethal if Brees is as healthy and can play the way he did when he got hurt. It's going to be a lethal backfield. Especially with, like we're forgetting about like Zonovan Knight too, who I remember last year just watching and Michael guy and thinking and Michael Carter too. Like there's there's a good backfield there, like. Obviously, I don't. They're not going to carry all four of them, right? So I think one no. of them is going to go. But yeah, I think the Jets—they look like they have everything they need. But I, I'm sure 31 other teams feel that way at this point too. Right. So. And we'll I was into that. One, yeah. One of the other things too is how good of a D line with Quinn and Williams up front with that Jets D line looks. The Jets, like, like I said, the Jets D. That dude's in unstoppable. General, the Jets D, like from C.J. Mosley to Quinn and Williams to Carl Lawson to uh, Sauce Gardner to Jermaine Johnson, like the, it's just to now like Will McDonald on the edge, like it's just it's so good, like they're so good, um, and they're gonna get a lot of sacks, and they're gonna hurt a lot yeah. of QBs, and it's gonna be oh yeah, and. You know, Sauce is going to stop a lot of passes. Like that, his side of the field is is already persona non grata. So, and the thing with with a guy like Sauce, like it's not like you can figure him out because he's on the defensive side of things. Like he figures you out. So, it'll it'll be interesting. 
Yep. Uh, I'm wondering, do, do the Jets play the, the Bengals this year? They must, right? No, because Sauce versus Chase. Yeah, Sauce versus Chase, and not just that, is... Um, Oh, What's the fact called? that Joe Burrow's going to get murdered. Yeah, because <laughs> Joe, Joe Burrow still doesn't have an O-line to protect him. And his he's already had a significant knee injury. He's had another leg injury. I don't know if it's the same leg that he injured a year or two ago. But, man, um, if that's the case, he's going to get eaten alive that game. They do not play the Bengals this year. I would oh, sign man. Teddy Bridgewater if I were the Bengals. I'll just put him in for that game. him that game and then go back to Burrow. But... But like you got to think like any cute like any team that has questions about their offensive line in terms of reliability and you know push and stability with guys like that coming through that's going to be tough because like not only are the D line going to be able to push forward they're going to create room for the linebackers coming through these edge rushers getting by right and it's just you know there a lot of these O line like like the outside guys and like your weak side tackles and shit like that are going to have to decide if they're going to support the line and cover for the linebacker or fade a little out and protect against the edge rush. Like it's, I don't know. It's not, it's not a comfortable thought process for them. The last thing I want to say on hard knocks, the other thing I noticed was when Aaron Rodgers pulled aside Mekhi Becton, that's going to be huge. Um, and he was like, let's, okay, so yeah, let's, talk. Let's, let's talk. Let's we'll have lunch this week because Aaron Rodgers' life relies on the play of Mekhi Becton, right? Like in that O line. So the relationship between a quarterback and his O line, I think is really cool. And a guy like Becton who's drafted first round, supposed to be a freak athlete has been hurt for him to kind of reach out and say, let's chat. Like let's the cultivation of that relationship and how Rodgers approaches it in you know building those across different areas of the team i think is really special and i think that was a good micro example of how he approaches it and i thought it was really cool well i think it's very clear that the new york jets is both uh, maddie and james's favorite team but it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the week That's right, it is time for everyone's favorite segment of the week because it is a segment where we get to hear Maven's entrance music from his time with the World Wrestling Federation. Speaking of wrestling, I'm going to go first. My shout-out, of course, goes to Adam Copeland, the man known as Edge, who has spent the better better part of the past 25 years in the WWE uh, representing Toronto. And I think that's uh, the most important part for me is that, like we talked about on the show earlier, not just one of the greats, not just a Hall of Famer, a guy who's won everything and done everything, and a guy who has constantly evolved and changed with the times and always kept up and always it's always been good. Like there's never been a time where you look back and saw Edge you're like, ah, he wasn't so great back then. Like, he's always been good. Like that's just really hard to do over such a long period of time. But doing all of that while rocking Maple Leafs gear. Doing all of that while being the biggest Maple Leafs fan you'll ever see in your life. Like he are, he like rivals Steve Dangle as like one of the biggest uh Maple Leafs fans of all time. And you'll see Definitely cooler. Yeah. Did you see like the belt that the Leafs were passing around 
last year to yeah, like the player of the game. By him. That was Edge's belt. Yeah, <laughs> that was a belt he personal, made. Yeah, it's his personal belt that he custom made for himself. Like so, that's just really cool. And it's it's also fun for me to like do that degrees of separation thing. And if you think about like how close closely related you are to someone by like how the people they know and like technically only one degree separated from this man and i've never met him <laughs> but like i'm one degree separated from that man and i feel like we would get along really good anyways my shout out goes to edge james or maddie who wants to go next i can go because i i kind of have two uh same realm but i have two just because it's stuff that came out this week so my first one goes to um because it's like the farewell for a man that kind of was a bit of an enigma in the nhl but he kind of had like a farewell tour out in slovakia is marion hosa what a player man like this dude was arguably one of the most dominant players of his era quietly like in when he played with kovalchuk and uh in the era like is it kovalchuk and the rise of Taze and kane and shit like that like dude the senators I was going to say, I hated Marion Hosa when he was a senator. But he was so so good. good. (laughs) He was was one of those guys where low-key put up so many good numbers and would break your team's back. But you would just never come to mind as top-flight player of the NHL, but he definitely was. Um, And my second one is for Cheryl Pounder going out to be an NHL 24 commentator. Like That is so cool because in my mind, she's arguably... Um, with the big push to have more female commentators, analysts on panels and shit like that, she's by far and away the best. So, like, it's not even close. And, uh, you know, this might be the first NHL game I buy in the past three years. So, um, you know, the fact that she's going to be on the call for those, it's it's awesome. So those are my two. My shout-out is kind of along the same lines, but not really. Uh, My shout-out is to Tyreek Hill. And I don't know if you've heard the latest comments from Tyreek Hill, but I'm going to play them for you because they're amazing. Okay. I, do, I feel yeah. like Madden has a good tell of how good players are. So I just play Madden the night before and I go look at all their ratings. So <laughs> let's say, for instance, they had Steve Nelson and Derek Stingley over there, two phenomenal players, by the way. Um, I just go get on Madden. I go to the EA rosters. Then I scroll down and see what their awareness is, their speed is, and they sprint. And that's how I get a good tell on them. I feel like Madden has. So <laughs> Tyreek Hill awesome. prepares for games by playing Madden, looking up their stats and saying, oh, this guy has high awareness. <laughs> this guy has high speed. <laughs> you can't argue, though. Tyreek Hill is no, yeah. a fantastic player I mean, it's kind of like a cold NFL. notes of players. Yeah. I'm assuming these guys, you know, part of building that game is to try and get these guys as close to real life as possible. And I'm assuming, you know, I've never been involved in building a video game. But I'm assuming there's a team that goes through and and ranks these kinds of things. Chad I mean, Chad Johnson's on the on the team that helps Madden do the ratings. So the, like I mean, there you go. Maybe there's something to that. But I thought it was awesome. This guy's like, they're like, do you watch film? He's like, nah, I just play Madden. So <laughs> like that's, more than more than any other dollars. Nah, dude, I just play Madden. Right, and more than any other of the sports games, the Madden ratings are the ones that are taken the most seriously. Like this is true. easily, right? Like Madden gifts, gift like gives a gift of like a chain or something really high value to any player who makes the Madden ninety nine rating like on yeah. launch. So like, like linemen have got it. I've seen it. Like certain like linemen yeah. get it and stuff, and it's crazy. And it's it's actually a badge of honor to get that kind of rating from Madden. Aaron Donald has, I think, the most 
um mad 99 ratings to be honest i think in like recent memory but yeah there's a big presentation they make of it it comes in like a really nice box i think it was a chain with like 99 um and like your name on it and shit it's so cool that is pretty cool and it's also cool that you guys decided to tune in to this week's episode of 43.6 an early one maybe Maybe it's late. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, we were able to get an episode out this week. Next week, I think we're going to dive a bit more into our NFL preview. That's potentially on the horizon of something we're going to be talking about next week. Also, don't forget, now your treasures are going to be at booth 912 at Fan Expo this week. If you are going down and if you are also going down, James and Matt will be there too. So make sure you say hi if you see them out in the wild. But until then, take care of yourselves and each other.